Man, well, I want to begin by asking you guys a question. Just think about real quick, um, in your life, who do you listen to the most? In your life, who, do you, um, who are you the most attentive to? And, and I ask that because in our lives we have, uh, you know, depending on who it is or different kinds of groups of people, I think we listen differently. We, we respond differently. We embrace uh, advice or comments differently. We take in words differently depending on who it is that's speaking. There's people in our lives that we have a hard time listening to, and I'm sure that there's, there's some people in our lives that we, we hope or we wish that we can listen more to, right? When you think about family or you think about your friends or you think about just people in your workplace, um, my guess is that there's a different level of listening between those groups, right? It, it might not be so equal. Uh, there, there might be some of us where when it comes to our family, we're all ears, all heart, we're, we're, we're attentive, whatever my mom and dad says, you know, I, I, want, I, I respect them so much, I honor them so much, I, I love them so much that every word they say, it's going to be precious to me. But then when it comes to my friends, you know, maybe not so much. Maybe like we, we give them our ears at times and maybe not so much and it's easy to, to kind of, you know, listen in one ear and have it go out the other ear. Maybe some of us, work is like the most important thing. So for some of us, maybe for us, um, you know, when it comes to like our, our boss or supervisor or manager, maybe that's the one that we listen to the most because that's like our God and that's, that's my priority. And when it comes to people that work under you or maybe for you, maybe, you don't, maybe we don't listen as well. And, and it's not that we want to be that, but, but maybe it's just an issue of a priority. And, and, I, and I say this because I think for um, a lot of us, uh, this is true, that when it, depending on who it is and, and what group of people or um, person it is, we, we listen differently. We, are, uh, we have different levels of um, attention or, or response. I say this because today as we come to church and as we come before the Word of God, the question for us really is, um, when it comes to God speaking, when it comes to Jesus speaking, when it comes to the Word of God delivered to you, Outside of who the speaker is, how do, we, how do we do in that regard? How do we do in listening? How do we do in hearing God's word? And it's so funny to me that, you know, I've been um, in ministry for some years now. You know, I may look a bit younger, but I'm, I'm 38 years old. I uh, started ministry at about 22, 23. So I've been speaking for some time now, and uh, I have seen all different kinds of responses. And people that uh, on the outside, they, they, everyone looks like they're, they're all the, the same kind of on the same page, all, all eyes. But then, but then the way it goes out and the way it's received, I realize is completely different. I, I realize that there could be two people sitting next to each other, right, listening to the same sermon, or two people in the same small group, you know, sitting right next to each other, looking at the same passage, right? Or at the same retreat, same conference, and yet it's fascinating that one person can walk away, and over time you see this transformation. You see, you see this fruit starting to appear in their life, but then that same, the person that was sitting right next to them under the same teaching, hearing the same word, you just don't see that same effect, it's, it's fascinating to me how, um, how people respond to Jesus and how they respond to God uh, so differently. And Jesus was experiencing this uh, in Mark chapter 4 in our context today. Uh, the Bible says that he actually was 
teaching uh, in a boat. I mean, the, what happened was the crowds were so large, it, it wasn't the small attendance. I mean, when Abe was talking about, um, you know, welcoming you guys to jumpstart today after service and lunch and to, to his house, we're talking about the kind of crowd that would push Abe, you know, like you, you would push him out of his living room, out of his kitchen, because the crowds are that large. I mean, he's like in a corner. He's backed up. So Jesus is experiencing this large crowd backed up into the Sea of Galilee. He goes into a boat and he's teaching. And what you find is in that crowd, not everyone has the same response. They listen differently. So you got some people there that, you know those people that, that they, just wanted to, they just wanted to trap Jesus. They were there trying to find out, uh, uh, trying to look for the very thing that they can counter-argue or a way to uh, uh, bring him down or, or, or um, to, to, you know, take away his followers or, you know, and, and call him out or whatever it may be. There's some, though, that in the crowd, maybe not against him, but they were there because they were just amazed. And they were just more about, I want to see more miracles. I, I love this movement that's happening. Wow, he has authority. I want to hear more. And yet, in one sense, that's not a completely bad thing. But then Jesus, I think, was more interested, not so much in the people that wanted to uh, experience miracles and his authority, but people that just wanted to be a follower of him, people that wanted to be with him. See, there was some, though, in that crowd that were beyond the miracles and the flashy stuff and the authority. There were some in the crowd that simply wanted to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple. They wanted to just walk with him. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to be like him. They saw his compassion. They saw his character. They saw that he was one that was sent from God. They they understood that this isn't just an ordinary person here. This isn't just an ordinary rabbi. And they wanted to, to be with him. So what does Jesus do? He's in this boat and he's got this crowd and they're not all on the same page. So what do you do? What Jesus does is one of the ways he kind of, in a sense, filters out people is he speaks in parables. Parables are these, um, you know, you guys know, right? Short stories that have analogy and metaphors, but it's packed in with this deep, profound kingdom truth. But what it does is it makes you think, it makes you search your heart, it makes you kind of question. You need a little bit more explanation. And um, I was talking to Pastor Chris and, and uh, you know, just asking about how I feel about today's message. And I realized that, you know, Jesus in this parable, he gives a parable and then he like, he explains it, which kind of like, that makes it hard for me because that's my job, Jesus. Like, my job was to explain the parable, but you just kind of did it for me. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do today, but I'm just going to explain it again, all right? And, uh, and, but what Jesus does here is he gives this parable. What parables do is it actually reveals for the crowd that are on different places in their response and their listening, uh, it, it kind of reveals the true desires of their hearts um, to see who's actually hearing Who's actually understanding? Who's just here to attack me? Who's just here to see more miracles? And who's here to really be a follower and a disciple of Christ? Who's here to, that's really seeking the kingdom of God? Uh, one, one author, commentator, he says about parables that uh, parables is, is not meant to give water to those that are thirsty. Rather, it's like giving, um, it's like giving people salt 
to make them thirsty, to see who are those that are truly thirsty for the kingdom of God. Who are those that would want to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, could you explain more? Because I'm hungry and I'm thirsting for something beyond this world. I'm, I'm actually searching for, for God. What parables did is, in, in, in a way, it filtered out, and um, I want you to, you know, uh, understand what I'm saying here. It kind of filtered out the, uh, those that were just part of the crowd from those that were the called. It kind, of, it kind of filtered out those that were just like fans of Jesus from those that are truly followers of Jesus. And the way he does that is, is he explains uh, that from uh, or by using this, this parable of the sower. And you guys probably heard this parable before. And it's a parable where, you know, about a sower that's going out and he's scattering seed all over the place. And, and then he describes four different kinds of soils. The first three actually do not produce any kind of fruit, not, not even a tenfold kind of harvest. There's no fruit. But the last soil, he says, the good soil will actually bear much fruit. And he uses the analogy of a seed. Uh, and he, like, he, he, he talks about the kingdom of God or the word of God, the gospel, the announcement of God as a seed because it has this power to grow and to give life and, and produce fruit. Now, you got to understand, guys, um, that when Jesus is talking this parable, you got to kind of, you know, we have to kind of go back 2,000 years and that culture and that setting and that context. It was an agricultural society, right? And where, where people understood or they this language of seeds and sower and a harvest and crop, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like uncommon language. It was, it was very familiar. They, they were around it, uh, uh, you know, every day. They, they understood the, this analogy. But, uh, but so Jesus was trying to use this to teach them something about the kingdom of God. So what, what, did, what didn't surprise them is when Jesus talks about the seed going out and being scattered, and how most of the time, if you take three soils out of four that don't produce fruit, you got 75%, right? 75% of the time, it's not going to produce a harvest. That probably didn't shock the people of that day because they've seen that happen a lot. They knew the reality that in an agricultural society, you scatter the seed, but you're not going to have every seed produce a harvest of crops. Does that make sense? But you know what they were shocked by? is what Jesus says about the last soil, the good soil. He says this. Jesus says there's a good soil that when the seed falls on this soil, it produces a harvest. But here's what's shocking to them. It's going to produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and even 100-fold. That, my friends, would shock the people of that day. Because what, um, what, what, what authors and commentators are saying is that in that agricultural society, uh, having a 10-fold harvest from a seed is actually very good, really good. But to imagine from a seed to have 30 and 60 and 100, they say that's nothing short of a miracle, which is why when Jesus was talking about the seed going into this soil, that's, that's what drew them in. It would make you say, what is the seed? What, it, what is this seed that is so powerful, so precious, that unlike normal seed that only produces a tenfold at best, this seed produces an abundance, 30, 60, 
hundredfold. You guys, you guys with me so far? I mean, this, uh, you know, for me, like, I just, you know, I love scripture. I love um, kind of diving deeper and deeper. And that's one of my goals today is to kind of draw you in a bit deeper into this parable and uh, help us to, to see the, um, the profound truth that God is trying to communicate to us. And so, so they're listening in and they're trying to figure out what, what is this seed. And, and what Jesus is not trying to say is that, um, it's, it's, he's not trying to say that it's the amount of seed or the size of the seed that determines the harvest, right? So, so it's not, he's not saying if you have a bigger seed, it'll, it has more chance of a harvest. He's not saying that if you just scatter more seed, it has a, you know, it's going to produce more harvest. The, the story here, the parable is not so much on the amount of seed, but rather the condition of the soil. So Jesus talks about four, four different kinds of soil. And you guys know because it's a parable, it's referring to symbolic of four different people or four different kinds of responses to how people receive this particular seed. Okay, so I'm going to, I know Jesus explained it, and I'm not trying to outdo Jesus, you know what I mean? So, but I'm just going to help us understand this a little bit more. Jesus talks about the first soil as the path. It's right there in verse 4. This is the path that some seed fell along the path. And then it says the birds came and devoured it. When you go on and read on, that bird is actually referring to Satan. You know, and I apologize if you're like a bird lover here. You know, me, not so much. Like I don't like, especially pigeons. You know, they just eat all our food. And, uh, but, but a bird came and, and snatched it away. There's, a, there's an adversary that came and snatched it away from this path. And, um, and, I, and I thought to myself this week as I was kind of studying this, I said, I said, even this adversary finds something so powerful about the seed that, that this adversary, this enemy, uh, Satan, does not want the people of God to have this seed because even the adversary knows the potential and how precious this is. And I thought, and I just took a moment and said, God, I hope that my desire for this seed will always be greater than the adversary's desire to take it away from me. That sometimes we, we just forget how precious God is to us and how precious his word is to us. That sometimes the, the, the adversary is, is going more, going, making more strides to, to take this from us and than we are to make sure that this is bearing fruit in our lives. The first soil called the path, I would call it the hardened heart. The hardened heart. When you, when you begin to understand this particular soil, the first one, um, it's, the, it's the kind of soil that when the seed is dropped, there is no ability for that seed to, to sink in even at all. You know, I think about my son, Benjamin, and, um, you know, when he was about two years old, like, you know, we would start to introduce him to different um, sports, like with throwing around the soccer ball or the basketball, ba- basketball, and we bought him this, like, soft little orange basketball, and he would try to bounce it and dribble it, but I don't think he understood the concept of uh, that, 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 that how, how it dribbles or how it bounces actually also depends on what you bounce it upon. So he would take it on the carpet, and, or, and then he would take it on the wood floor, or take it outside on the concrete, or he would take it on the grass, and he would try to bounce it and dribble it, and it would have a different effect, not because the ball had changed, but because simply the ground that the ball is, um, 
is dropped upon. And so when he would, he would bounce it on the concrete, on the sidewalk, obviously it would bounce right back up. And the reason is because that concrete had, had hardened to the point where that ball cannot sink in the way grass would, the way a carpet would. Does, does that make sense? And so the concrete, all it does is when the ball drops, it just comes back up. And, and I, I think the path is similar in the sense that when this seed is given to some, it's like the path when the seed is dropped, it just, it just comes back up and it's snatched away. Why? Because that, that heart, that, that soil has been um, hardened and has built up this resistance so much where it's just not sinking in. You know, I would say maybe this is the kind of heart that uh, maybe disinterested in God. The one, that, the one that says, you know, my life is, you know, is too busy for God. Uh, you know, my life is, you know, pretty decent without God. Or, you know, you might, even, you might even, you know, come across people or you might even be there now or you, you share with others. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, that's great. Like God is in your life, but I think I'm okay. And so I'm just going to make my life about my coming and my going. And I don't know if I see a need for Jesus. Um, and this is the kind of heart that has built up this resistance. So when the seed is dropped, it just kind of bounces back. You know, in, uh, in just years of ministry, it's funny because like on the outside, as I'm preaching, I kind of look around and, you know, not that I look at you individually, but just kind of uh, when I kind of just see you guys as, as, as a whole, you know, it seems like everyone is listening. But, um, you know, there are, there are sometimes people and, and not, not, I'm not talking about our church here, but in previous uh, experiences of preaching at other places, there's some people where it's, it's pretty obvious that they're not listening. You know what I mean? There's people with just the gift of sleeping. I mean, they just come in and they might even take the first few rows, which is like, you know, reserved for the spiritual people. But they'll take the first few rows. And I'm, I'm, not, even jo- I'm not even lying when I say this. Like 90% of the time, I can guarantee that that person will fall asleep. They just have this gift of closing their eyes as soon as the Bible is open. You know what I mean? And it's just, it just like, oh, it's just, they just tune out. They just ignore it. They're just not, there, there's no hunger there. There's no thirst there for it. There's, I don't, uh, when is this over? When is the, you know, what are we having for lunch? You know, and um, it's people like that. There's also people that come in and, and, and they look like they're so engaged. They might even be writing things down. But I've had people where they just, when it comes down to it, they weren't trying to listen with the intent of learning and growing. It was the intent of finding ways to, to, to uh, counter the Christian faith or counter what God is saying in his word or to bring a, a pastor down. And, and there's people like that, and Jesus encountered those people in his day as well, right? There's just the reality, guys. There's a reality um, that sometimes our hearts can be hardened to the point where no matter how much Bible study or how much church you've, you've been in and how many sermons you listen to, you look over time and there's just no fruit. And what a beautiful warning this is for us to understand the reality that there is an adversary that actually wants to take that seed away from us. There, there, there is someone that understands this, that this seed is powerful and precious. And I think the, um, this, the parable here is, is for us to see, man, that God wants to give you the seed. That God wants to give us the seed. I, I started asking myself the question, you know, who would have this kind of soil, though? Like, I mean, this sounds ho- so harsh. 
that, that someone will be so hardened, right? That they, they, they just reject the word of God. They're like against Christianity. Why would someone be so hardened? And I thought, you know, God, is it because there's just bad people? And I thought um, that, that one, one of the reasons why people may be so hardened is not because they're bad people. But maybe they've had bad experiences. You might know some people like that. And, uh, and that's the reality that maybe even bad experiences in the church, right? Bad experiences with leadership, uh, bad experiences maybe at a, in a Christian home that you, you just saw maybe uh, all this hypocrisy or whatever. And, and that just kind of, you know, you just said, you know, that's, that's the cause. I'm not going to accept the faith because, you know, of what I've seen. And maybe that's a reality for you. You know, for some, it might be just because of suffering and pain in their life, um, uh, you know, a, a big kind of tragedy in life where, you know, we're, we're just prone to, to blame someone or to blame something when challenges um, become reality, right? And sometimes we blame God. We, we just, we have no one else to blame. So God, we say, God, this is your fault. Like, if you were really good, then why would you allow this? And we, we blame God. And so what happens is over time, it's the scar tissue, and I can speak from reality that when, when something is broken and wounded, what happens is if you don't take care of the scar tissue builds up, and right now I can barely move my left pinky. And when I say barely, I'm talking barely. Like it's, it's sad every time I look. And, it, and I ask my doctor, why is it so hard? I said, the scar tissue. Because there's, there's, it's been wounded. It's been broken. And it doesn't have the ability to move the way it was supposed to move. That might be a reality for us, right? There's pain and suffering in life, and that causes this resistance. But, you know, I would say that maybe for a lot of us, maybe the reason for a hardened heart uh, is not a bad experience or pain, but maybe just the, the sin of pride. And I would say this is true of me. The sin of pride and the sin of saying, you know, I can take care of myself. Why would I need God? I, I, I know what to do with my life. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I don't need God. It's a sin of pride. It builds up this resistance. And even when God is attempting to speak, we've hardened our hearts and just has no ability to sink in. Jesus goes on and he talks about the second soil. He says, but there's another kind of soil, a second soil called the rocky places, he describes. The rocky place actually goes a little bit deeper, and I would call it the shallow heart. And the reason why it's shallow is because there's actually a, a bit more depth than the path but it doesn't go deep enough to actually remain and bear fruit. The shallow heart is the one that is talked about in this parable. Jesus says, you might even receive it uh, in the moment with joy. So there's emotion there. And I, and I recall moments when people have come up to me crying. Not every time, but saying, Pastor James, that, you know, that sermon just like, it touched me. It touched my heart. It moved me. You might have been in some services where you wonder, man, does that pastor know? How does that pastor know what I'm going through? It's as if they're speaking directly to me. And, and as wonderful as it is that you've been touched by the word of God, what, what this parable, what Jesus is saying is that fruit is not produced when a seed just touches the surface. Just because a seed touches the soil, it, that doesn't guarantee fruit. A seed bears fruit when it remains in the soil. And so th these are those that, you know, you receive it with joy. Wow, that's an awesome word. Amazing Bible study. That's great. I'm moved. Uh, you know, there's emotion. But, but this particular soil, the seed doesn't bear fruit. The reason being is because when the sun comes up, it says... 
When the sun comes up, it's scorched away. The seed is scorched away. And, um, you know, I'm from California where we have the sun every day, uh, uh, every month, <laughs> throughout the whole year, uh, kind of different from Chicago. And, um, and I, it gets kind of boring for us, but I would admit this, the sun is pretty nice. And when we talk about the sun in Chicago, uh, I, w- I would probably assume that, that, you know, for six months of the year, man, we can't wait till the sun comes out. When the Bible says that this sun, uh, when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. It's not talking about a Southern California sun. It's not talking about Chicago sun. This is the Palestinian, Middle Eastern, agricultural, farm society sun where it's 120 degrees, just, just excruciating, painful heat. No matter what brand of sunblock you use, ain't going to do it. This is the kind of the sun that I would say makes life uncomfortable. Not the kind of sun where you go out, you're like, man, this is so, so nice, getting a tan. This is the kind of sun you go out and you're like, I need, I need some shade. This is not fun. You know what I mean? You, got, you, ever, you ever felt that sun come up in your life? And, and what do we do? We run to the shade. And what this is talking about is the person that has a rocky path is the one that receives God's word at, in the moment. But when the sun comes up, when the temperature is um, on high, when, 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 when life gets challenging, when relationships aren't going the way you thought it would, when your career is not going the way you thought it ho- you would hope for, when your, your whatever it is is not at the way you want it to be, when the temperature is rising, it's saying, watch what happens to your heart. Watch what happens to, your, to your, your, your walk with God. Watch what happens to the word of God in your life. He's saying that there are some that when the sun comes up, the first thing that leaves is the word of God. Yeah, you ever experienced that? That when life is challenging, you're like, ah, yeah, I'm just going to go do my own thing. You know what I mean? It's going to go back to the shade. You know what's fascinating, though? If you talk to any farmer, not that I know any, <laughs> if you talk to anybody that has any experience, maybe, I don't know, maybe in the Midwest where, you know, you're someone that knows something about agriculture and farming, they're going to tell you that the sun plays an incredible role in producing a harvest that it's actually the sun that actually helps produce this harvest. The question for us is what do we do when the sun comes up? What do we do when the sun comes up? There's a German theologian by the name of Helmut, and he says there's nothing more cheering than transformed Christian people, and there's nothing more disintegrating than people who have been merely brushed by Christianity, people who have been sown with a thousand seeds, but in whose lives there is no depth and no roots. Therefore, they, they uh, fall when the first whirlwind comes along. It is the half-Christians who always flop in the face of first catastrophe uh, that happens because their dry intellectuality and their superficial emotionalism do not stand the test. So even that which they think they have is taken away from them. And so what Jesus is trying to say is, you know, it's great that, that, you know, you have some times when the word of God is just received with joy by saying, no, there's, 
there's a different interaction with, with His Word that actually produces fruit, and it's the good soil, right? And, um, and then Jesus goes on, and, so he, and then He goes on to talk about this third soil. This third soil, again, does not produce any fruit. He calls it the, the soil with the thorns, the soil with the thorns, and I call it the, the heart that is torn. And it's torn because it's a heart that's been divided. It's torn between um, the cares of the world and, and, and God. It's, it's torn between uh, God and, and, and maybe the riches and the pleasures of the world. It has God on one side and, and the world on the other. It's when we have one foot in the world and say, I want everything the world has to offer. You know, I want all the pleasures, all the riches, all the, maybe it's the, 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 the you know, the, the cares of the world. And maybe it's all the, the struggles too that come with it. But you have one foot in and then, and then you have one foot with God, and you know, you, it's not that you reject God, but there's no full surrender. There's no complete trust, and it's like let's just kind of see which one works out better. And so you you kind of play both sides, and so it's kind of torn. And so Jesus, that's the third kind where it, this soil is actually a little bit deeper because it actually wants God a bit, but only enough where it just becomes about the benefits of God rather than God. And so it's to ensure that you have one foot in God and, and one foot in the world and, and it's divided, it's crowded, it's, it just, it just kind of goes one way one day and then, and then another way another day. It's, it's the one who, you know, says, you know, I want the blessings of Christ, but I don't want to be buried with Christ. I don't want to be, I don't, you know, I'm not going to completely give my life to God. I want, I want, I want God in my life, like I want to add him, but I don't want him to be the center. And Jesus is saying, you know, that soil doesn't produce fruit. Even if that seed goes a little bit deeper than the rest of the soils, the only kind of soil that actually produces fruit, he says, it's the good soil, right? The, the soil with the thorns is the one that seems to always wander like when, when it feels good to be with God, then you're with God. When it feels good to be with the world, you're with the world. If it's uncomfortable to be with God, then we jump to the world, right? I came across this funny little story. I'll just read to you. He says, it's like the, the heart of the girl to which a young man once proposed. And he said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all my heart. And she thought for a minute and said, I love you with all my heart too, but tell me more about this Johnny Brown. You know, you can tell, like, she wants to keep this guy around. Like, she doesn't want to, like, dismiss him. She wants to keep him, but she's like, but I also like Johnny Brown. And I thought, man, you know, that describes me at times. Like, God, I'm not trying to reject you. I just, but I don't know if I can fully accept you. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to persevere, to trust. You know, and so, so we turn to the world and say, tell me more. Tell me more. And we think that there's something God is holding out on us that we can find in the world. 
when really everything in the, in the world is supposed to point us back to God. It's to say everything in the world does not satisfy. And so therefore, my heart is meant for another world to point me back to God. You know, it's the one that says, you know, uh, I, I, man, I, I, I agree with Jesus in a lot of ways. In fact, I try to apply Jesus' teachings in my life in a lot of ways. You know, you may, you may be out there. Yeah, man, I, you know, I agree with this stance on justice and love and compassion. I'm all about that. I'm all about being with the, the, the outcast and the marginal. I'm all about that. You know, but, but you know, forgiveness, my enemies, I, I don't know if I can accept that. You ever been there when you read scripture and you, it's easy to accept some parts and so hard to accept some? And you reject some and you accept some. And, and what this, this soil is talking about is referring to the one who just takes in what they like and decides to reject what they don't want. St. Augustine says that if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, then it's not the Gospel you believe, but it's you. See, to believe in the Gospel is to believe that God is good and completely good, that God is true and completely true, and to wholly surrender, to wholly submit, to wholly listen and to wholly embrace so that this, so, this seed can actually bear fruit. So Jesus goes on, the last soil he talks about. We're, we're there now. He talks about the good soil. The good soil, he says, will produ- produce fruit. Again, uh, it, it'll work. I, I mean, it, it's going to cause such transformation. It's going to be a miracle that there's going to be 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold of harvest. And he says the difference between this soil and the rest is that with this soil, you not only hear the word, but in the scriptures it says you accept the word. You hear it and you accept it. You know, we're all hearing the word, but the question is, are you accepting the word? It's the one that um, accept to mean is to, uh, to mean, uh, uh, is to mean that you, you trust that word, that you trust the word enough to see it through in your life. You, you actually decide to not only accept it as if like it's a, uh, something you want to put in your shelf and just to take as insurance one day, but you accept it and you bring it close as if, as if to make it your life, as if to apply it to your life. You know, you can tell someone has this soil, this heart, because they are listening constantly to God. They're thinking about God's word. They're applying it to God's word. They're writing notes down in their Mark 4 or Mark journal. They're, they're, uh, they're reflecting on it. They can't wait to go to small group and to go deeper with it with other believers in the faith. They're, they're constantly uh, making sure that the word is guiding their life. That's the one with the good soil. It's not to say that it all depends on you, but I love what Pastor Tim Keller says. He says the gospel does not work in you without you. It doesn't work without you. It works with you. And so this parable is not just about the seed or the soil. This parable is about the seed and how it merges with the soil and how it interacts with the soil. The question for us is, you know, when, when we have God's word, how does it interact? How does it merge? Does it remain? When the sun comes up, how does your heart respond? When, when you find something in the world that looks so uh, attractive, how does your heart respond? 
And I think this parable is saying, hear my word, accept my word, trust me enough that what I say is good. And over time and over the seasons, you will see that this seed can actually produce a great amount of fruits. You know, I kind of come, I'm coming to the end of my message here, and I, I want to mention this, that, you know, when I was uh, in my early days of a, of, of a believer, and I would read this parable, you know, I thought to myself, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is pretty, you know, pretty cool. You know, I like, I like systems, I like organization, and so I, I, I found this parable to be um, helpful to me at that time to, to think about, I wonder which category I'm in. I wonder which number I, I'm at. I wonder which soil I, I am. You know, and so some of us, we, we might even be listening to the descriptions of the soils and think to ourselves, I wonder which one I'm at. And, and, and before we leave here, I don't want us to leave as if this was a personality test. Oh, this is awesome. Like, I want to find out which soil I'm at. You know, as if, like, am I, am I a thinker or a feeler? Am I a, you know, like, you know, the Myers-Briggs? Am I an uh, introvert or extrovert? You know, am I a, what, what's perceived? I, I, don't, I don't know. But, you know, it's, am I this or am I that? And, you know, sometimes it's just cool to, to think about what, you know, like how you're wired. And, but this parable isn't about that. It's not for us to walk away here and go home and say, man, that was awesome. Like, I found out I'm a number two. Like, like I'm the rocky soil. That's awesome. <laughs> or, or we don't, you know, the goal is not for us to walk away and say, man, I'm a number four. I'm that good soil. And it's not awesome. Like, I'm just conditioned that way. No, that's not the point. Because what you notice about this parable is that Jesus actually doesn't talk about the soils in a random sequence. He gives the description of every soil. And with each soil, there's a progression. He goes from the most hardened soil then to the shallow soil, then to a bit deeper soil, then to the good soil. Perhaps for us, this parable isn't just about being aware or knowing what's the condition of my heart, but rather, a better question might be, what is the direction of my heart? Is my heart getting harder before the presence of God? As you see the season of your life and the trajectory of your life, do, do you recognize, does your heart get harder or is your heart getting softer? I think it's helpful for us to understand what happens to our hearts and, and when the word of God is given to us, but I don't think that if we're just stuck at one place or one soil for the rest of our lives. At the very least, we are all that very first soil. At the very least, we all have that in common, that we were all born with a hardened heart. Amen? Nobody was born saying, I'm ready to accept his word. I want to live out his word. It took a miracle. It took God's grace. It took God's hand. It took the good news of the gospel to come reach us. When our hearts were hardened and when we were rejecting God, God did something in us, Right? At the very least, we were the hardened hearts. But you know what else I know about us is that, is that at some point in our lives, we might even be all four. There's times when I know even in my life that when the sun comes up, I just, man, the first thing that goes is the word of God. But there's times I also know when I accept God's word a bit more, but then the, the cares of the world, or when I, when I compare my life to other people, 
when I go on Instagram too much and I see everyone having beautiful smiles and vacations and I go, hey, I, I want that too. The word of God leaves. There's times in my life I've seen incredible growth. There's times in my life I said, Lord, you're, you're the most, you, you are the center of my life. And there's times I've seen that produce incredible fruits. The question for you is this. Not only what is the condition of your heart, but what is the direction of your heart? And I close with this. Perhaps the most important part of this parable is to understand why would Jesus use the seed? Why would Jesus use the illustration and imagery of a seed? Pastor Tim Keller from New York City, he says, he says it doesn't make sense because in that context, Jesus was being questioned for his authority, for his power. Where does he get his authority to do miracles? The, the, and Jesus had all the authority and all the power. It wouldn't make sense for Jesus to liken his word to a seed. It makes more sense to liken it to a sword or a fire, something that resembles strength and power. And Tim Keller says, you know, why would Jesus talk about a seed? Because a seed didn't symbolize that. It wasn't authoritative. It wasn't powerful. A seed was weak. A seed would fall to the ground and easily forgotten. He says the seed is meant to fall to the ground, buried, and sometimes forgotten. But the seed was meant to fall, to be buried, and to produce life. And I would agree. He goes on to say, Jesus uses the illustration of a seed because that's how Jesus came. He didn't come wielding his power and his authority and his strength. He came in humility. He came in meekness. He came willing to be weak. He came willing to be crucified. He came like a seed. He came from heaven to earth, and he was on the cross, and, and he was buried. They buried him. They buried him in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again. And that spirit that rose Christ from the, from the grave has that power to bring resurrection life to us, not tenfold, but friends, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, hundredfold, the kind of fruit the kind of harvest, the kind of transformation in your life that you and I can never produce on our own strength. Impossible. But when Jesus is with you, you can see this incredible transformation. Jesus uses this illustration of a seed because he's talking about himself. When you go to the Gospel of John, the first chapter says that Jesus just didn't give the word. It says that he was the word and he is the word. And John goes on in chapter 12, verse 24. This is what it says, friends. It says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's what Jesus is to us. That if we just keep him on the surface, it won't produce life. But it's when we say, Jesus, take your place in my heart. Be the center of my life. Take root. I not only hear it, but I accept it. Guide me with your word. Guide me with your presence. Jesus says, that person with that heart, that soil, will see incredible, miraculous, transformation because that person is with Jesus 
and Jesus is with you. John 15 says that if I remain in you and you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So church, as we close, as, we, as you guys go out for another week, may that be true of us, that you would remain in God and God's word would remain in you. Let's pray.